Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1987, four childhood friends were reunited after 10 years to investigate the murder of a mentor they all shared. During this time, they unlocked the deep secrets of the past and found themselves exposed to the darkness that surrounded them. Soon it became more than a fight for justice. And instead, it became a fight against the ultimate evil. Six months later, in the winter of 1988, bonded by their knowledge of the dark unknown, they have decided to no longer be the victim. Now they seek out the deep roots of satanic corruption that hides in the shadows of society, all the while trying to mentor a new companion, seeking justice for the death of his cousin. Institutionalized is the second story arc in the Chronicles of Darkness first edition story, The Ultimate Evil, set in Bismarck, North Dakota in 1988. Join us in this tale of satanic horror with Wayne, played by Adam, Che, played by Andrew, Alex, played by Mitch, Michael, played by Slavic, and the newcomer Derek, played by Tillman. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on Twitter at twin underscore cities underscore VTM, and on Facebook and Discord at Twin Cities by Night. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can find us on Patreon at Twin Cities by Night. We hope you enjoy. So Wayne and Alex, you walk out to Wayne's car because Wayne's the only one of the two who have a car. Wayne, you start your car, and thankfully on the second go it starts. Alex, you're in the passenger seat. We said you had a Blue Oyster Cult tape playing. So you hear Blue Oyster Cult coming out of the speakers. You guys are in the car on your own. To get there, you're going to have to get on State Street, then make a left on Divide Street and go down to the apartments. But the scene's on you guys as you guys drive down there. Go ahead. Scene's on you. In my car, Alex will definitely have like a bunch of these books at his feet that are just like... um kind of just like investigative techniques, just like uh, basically just like these for dummies kind of like manuals on like investigative method and just like all this kind of, you know, it's just like some light reading that he just had on his passenger seat and he'll just kind of push it all down onto the floor to try to clear off enough space for Alex to sit down and make himself comfortable. Alex will squeeze in where he can, making sure he doesn't step on anything that looks important. Sorry about the mess, buddy. Uh, don't worry about it. I don't even have a car, so you know you're a step ahead of me. Yeah, why don't you have a car? I mean, I could, I could hook you up with somebody who could give you a cheap one. I mean, and then it's just maintenance, you know. And and then Wayne will kind of start getting into like uh, shop talk, you know, gas, oil, antifreeze. And I swear to God, as long as you just keep that, keep that straight, man, you're gonna stay on the road, no problem. Yeah, maybe one of these days. I don't really need a car right now, you know. I just walk or jog everywhere. Or take the bus. I suppose it is a little bit healthier. And been reading all kinds of stuff about how the cars put all kinds of shit in the air and stuff like that. Eh, can't be worse than what I did to myself with the cigarettes. Yeah, I hear that. And Wayne will probably light one up at that point. You know, he'll kind of like put the pack to Alex, but not like, you know, if he shakes his head, he'll just put it down or whatever. And meanwhile, Wayne is just kind of driving. He He knows how to get there. And he's just kind of like, it's cold, but he's got... The, the flaccid elbow on the on the window, just kind of trying to look cool and comfortable in the car. Now, you have noticed both in each other a change in the last six months. 
Alex, you have noticed that Wayne really has seemed to have taken to the job, seems not only to try to make himself academically more intuitive when it comes to investigation, but also seems to be on this new wave. You want to know how to define it, but almost like, well, you can relate to it. I would think you could relate to it. And I'll let you say whether or not that's the case. But you see that Wayne is taking this more self-help, positive, religious outlook on life, vibe with his life, while you, and I don't know, you probably haven't been vocal on it, while you have been trying to impact your health in good ways, you've been doing the occult thing. So I don't know if with the, you look at, try, I mean, the small ways you can look into the occult, which isn't a lot in Bismarck, but I don't know if there's any connection you would feel with Wayne with that, knowing, especially with your drawings or whatever. I know you probably haven't told anyone, but you just see a difference in each other, meaning you see Wayne is more intuitive, more grabbing life by the cojones and making something of it, making himself better on a self-help religious type thing. And you notice with Alex that he seems to be healthier than he used to be before. And he seems a lot, a little bit more driven though. He seems like you see a similarity in Che that you saw standing on those steps with him way back in remembrance of the cap of the Capitol library. When, when you could see Che wanted to do something and he was getting like, oh, he was just biting at the bit. You're seeing that now in Alex. But yes, if, uh, if you want another scene, you guys can keep going or we can get to the apartments. It's up to you guys. Before we get there, I'm just going to like kind of like as I'm driving, I look over to the passenger seat at, at Alex. You do look healthy, though. I got to say, you don't look like a ghost anymore. You got more life in your face. You look like you've been taking care of yourself. You're doing good, man. Thanks. I appreciate that. I've been trying. One thing that uh, Wayne will notice is that Alex is a lot less uh, talkative than he used to be. And instead of just trying to fill air with everything and anything he could, Alex is much more uh, reserved. He respects a man who's who's had his troubles, and he won't bother him too much. You know, he'll he'll be quiet for the rest of the ride. You guys are driving on Divide Street, which goes east to west. You basically got off Main Street, which goes east to west. You got on State Street, drove north, and then when you got to Divide, you made a left at this stoplight. State Street and Divide are kind of like two of the semi-busier streets. And as you make a left on divide you drive past this ymca that you guys actually spent the summer at that summer camp is on the left you see like these softball diamonds that are there you see now it's a little bit bigger than when you were in the in the 70s when you were kids and hung out there you don't see too much going on because you see like snow is all like on the softball field and on the grass and everything like that but you see lights or you see that there's you know they're open and you drive past as you continue going down divide on the left once you pass the YMCA, there's actually a golf course. And this was something that wasn't there when you were a kid. It was just kind of like planes, but they made it into a golf course. And you see like pathways where people like would go running during the summertime if they go running or they'll like golf carts can drive. But right now it's covered in snow and you kind of see just like the, the waves of the golf course go along there. Eventually, as you continue to go up there for about a mile, you get to where Divide Street kind of turns. It's almost like a dead end, but it kind of curves a little bit. And that's the end of Divide Street. And there's that's where the apartment complex is at. Now, the apartment complex is to the right. And if you were to look straight ahead to where the road curves and look beyond that curve, you see like there's this green hill that goes up. And it's covered in snow now. And you see like just beyond the crest of that green hill, there's what's called an Econo Foods. And you could see like if you were to like somehow go up that hill, you'd be there. Another road probably leads to it. And on the upper left, you see like there's a Greyhound bus station and a bowling alley. But right now you're focused on the right where there's this apartment complex that you had been to before. Now the apartment complex 
again, is four buildings that make a square. And the outward-facing buildings is where you would go into them, the outward-facing outside that square. Within the confines of the four buildings in the back, from what you saw was like a little park and like grass there and some pine trees that went through it. Now, when you came here last time, you came from the other side. So you're facing one building now. You, you actually were on the other building on the far side on the north side. But now you're on the south side building right now. And you pull into the drive or the parking lot. You make a right into the parking lot. You see this huge pine tree that's off onto the right. You see in front of the pine tree is this dumpster where people who live in the apartment complex will throw trash. You see the pine tree is covered in snow. You see that there is a little like basketball court kind of thing, like a half court, but the the hoop is kind of like bent and like you can tell that hasn't been taken care of. There's no net on it. You see icicles are kind of frozen off of it. You see a row of cars that are plugged in to plugs that coincide with apartment numbers. You'll see like apartment numbers on the plugs, like the little metal the little metal numbers that people sometimes put as address identifiers on their homes are on the side of the wooden, the wooden stake that holds these plugs to where people can plug their cars. We see that there's snow drifts that are on either side of these parking lot. Like there's, they came and you see that there looks like kids at one time had sledded down and all kids are for the most part in school right now. But when you get out of your car and you park there, you see that there's some lady who's walking with, holding the hand of a toddler in a snowsuit that looks like the snowsuit is like barely too big for him and she has a grocery bag in her hand like she had walked probably up that hill some way a street that led up to that econo foods and is like coming back to go to the apartment and she's walking past you guys on the sidewalk and it makes a left into a double glass doors now on one side of the building there's just like a metal door that you can open up and then on the other side on the right side of the building there's a double glass door and that's where you guys parked in front of when you look through this double glass door, you see that there's mailboxes that are pinned against the wall of the apartment complex where people can go with their keys for the apartment to get their mail. And then there's like a door that leads to the first floor apartments. And then there's a stairway that goes up. And you see she looks at you guys and she looks up. You see that she's a Native American woman. And she just kind of doesn't even say anything to you two as you're getting out of the car. And she just, just continues walking along with her toddler and opens up the door and goes in. And you see her walk straight into the open the door for the first floor. And goes into there. Now you know that this this man, Otis Lancaster, his apartment's on the second floor. He's in apartment number two hundred nine. You were given to that was given to you by John Donaldson, and you guys are standing right now in front of the door, the double glass doors of the apartment. What are you guys going to do? So I'm going to try to find his name on the buzzer and uh, just go ahead and press it. There's or actually if it has that. There's no buzzer. You can just open okay. the door and you can like walk in and go up the steps to the second floor. For, Yes. Yeah, so I'm just going to open the door and just kind of, you know, enter the lobby. You walk in and there's actually not really, it's not really quite a lobby. It's more like a five foot by like three foot area where those mailboxes are right away. It's like against the wall where the steps go on behind it, you know, and you go walk into there and there's like tile at first when you get in there, but it's all like gunked up with like salt and dirt and like slush and snow from people walking in there. And then you see there's a carpet and this carpet's like this orange outdated like 70s like color but it's like a it's worn down you see like there's like bright it's brighter on the sides but in the middle where people walk you see it's really like drudged up and almost like worn down and faded 
and you look up the steps, you see the carpets on the steps too. And you also see like where it's kind of faded in the middle where people step, you smell a faint tinge of urine. You smell like it almost smells like urine a little bit in there. And you could definitely smell like cigarette smoke and like a little bit of pot smoke and a little bit of like maybe vomit and alcohol that seems to have embedded itself into the DNA of this very building as you walk up the steps. And there's a moment while, you know, you saw, you two saw this from outside during the fall time. And there's, there's a difference between witnessing it from a parking lot and seeing it from within the confines of its very soul of this, of this, of these apartments. So you go up the steps and you can kind of hear like TVs going through these thin walls. And you're not even on the second floor. You can kind of just hear like TV or music coming through and you open up the second floor and you walk into it. And that's the, the, the smells that you were only hinted at walking up the stumps cascade upon you as you go into the hallway. And there's a moment where Alex, I don't, I assume this would almost like dredge up a sense of nostalgia in a bad way where you found yourself in places like this at times when you were going through your, your, your addiction and you go and you're counting, you're like 201, 202, 203. So you realize you got to kind of like make a left and to go down the hallway further. And then you see it at the end of the hallway there and you go, and I take it, you knock on the door. Yeah. I'm just going to approach as normally as I can and give like a knock. That's not really I don't want to bang on the door like I'm police or something. I'm just going to give like a friendly, just like. While he's doing that, Alex is going to take a quick look at what he can see from the door as far as methods of entry, possible points where he could break in if he needs to, that sort of thing. Scoping the joint out. Oh, you're talking about scoping the floor, like the apartment floor you're on? Is that what you, oh, you're talking about once you get inside or what, what like, what do you mean by that? Uh, windows, once he gets inside past any security door, if there is one, he wants to figure out, you know, what kind of lock is it? Is it something that he could lock pick? Um, oh, you're talking about the man's apartment? The apartment, the building itself, he wants to know how he can break in if he needs to. Okay, so for the building, there's no problem breaking it. It's like open to the public. Like you literally can just go in there, walk up the steps and get to whatever floor, the apartment floor. This isn't like a big city apartment complex where most of the time, like in a New York City, where there's an apartment of this low income, usually they'd have like the buzzer and like going into stuff like that. But in Bismarck, there's still that naive outlook on life, you know, where it's like, as long as there's a deadbolt on the door, it's, it's safe, you know? Okay. Your only form of ingress that you'd have to worry about is the door of the apartment, you know? So you knock on the door and you hear this, hold on one second. And you hear this shuffling and then you hear uh, the door open up. And you see this man, he's standing in front of you. He looks to be about 70 years old. He has like brown dickies on. You see he has like these black shoes that are specifically made with the intent of older people to wear them to make it easier on their foot, on their soles. They have like the thick soles. He has a tucked in like plaid shirt with a belt on. That's ironed. His pants are ironed. He looks very presentable, very disciplined in his look. His hair's cut closely. He's shaved. He has these thick glasses on. Uh, you see, though, he has like liver spots on his hands, on the top of his hands. And you see his hands shake a little bit when he's holding the door. His hair is almost completely gone except on the sides. But what, like I said, what is on the sides is cut. It's not all loose. And you see he kind of has like a little like a gizzard under his neck where like the skin is kind of loose and kind of hangs underneath there. And he has liver spots like on his face and on his neck. He's like, yeah, uh, how, how can I help you? And you smell from coming within the apartment. It smells clean. It smells warm and smells different than 
the smells from outside. It's like this bubble pocket of his own existence within these apartments that you have witnessed so far. It's completely alien and different. And he looks at you, he's like, How can, can I help you? How's it going, sir? I take it you're Otis? Yeah, that's me. And, and you are? My name's Wayne. I'm here representing the Dakota Investigative Services. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I told you, come in. Yes, come, please, please come in. And you kind of like see him like try to step out of the way of the door and like he's holding the door for you guys to step in. Thank you, sir. Yeah, yes, nice to meet you. Your name's Wayne and, and you, young man. And he like he's pointing to you, Alex. I'm Alex. Nice no, to not, meet you. Nice to meet you. And he like sticks out his hand to like shake both of your guys' hands. And you, and you sense he has like a very like firm handshake for someone his age, you know? As he closes the door, you look ahead of you. And what you see is on the left, immediately, there's like a kitchen counter. Like the small kitchenette area is right there. And you can kind of like, like, like you can almost walk up there, like walk up to and stand there and have like a cup of coffee if you want to. But he has like two like bar stools there. And you see, as you look through, you see that like there's a little like window, it's not a window, but like there's part of the wall that goes down. And then there's the counter. So you have like this five foot gap, five foot by five feet to where like you can see into the kitchen. You see like there's a white fridge. And there's like a little oven that's right there next to the fridge on the left. And on the other side of the wall, there's like the sink. And you see it has like plates that are drying. There's no dishwasher or microwave. And you see like the plates, there's plates and very few that are drying in like the, the little rack that you put in once you wash them. It's, it's really clean. You could smell like lemon, pine smell from there. Like he keeps it clean. And you look to the right and there's like a little dining room table there, a small one. And you look straight ahead of you and it's like the dining room and the living room are connected you see in the living room there's like this couch that has like a flower pattern and like a love seat there's like this tv that's on the stand you that looks like it could be like a record player too if you wanted it to you see along the wall there's lots of pictures you see there's like pictures of like black and white pictures of people there's like the where pictures just started becoming color where they're kind of faded and you see like a picture of him and some woman they're like sitting next to each other holding each other She's in a wedding dress. You know, it's like a wedding picture. You see all these pictures of like kids. You see the collage frames where like people have those frames and they can put multiple pictures in them along the wall. You see that there's an American flag that's like folded in a triangle that's on the wall and it smells very homely. And you see there's also like a little coffee table that has like a little bowl of like Werther's Originals on there. And there's like a TV guide and like a remote. And you see that there's like a phone that's on the this end table that is next to his couch and then once you walk in the living room you can look to the left like there's the kitchen but further you know there's a hallway that goes and you see that there's a door at the end of it and you see that there's one door on the right and then the door across from that and he's like oh please please have a seat and he like motions to the couch he's like are you thirsty would you like i got some coffee on the pot i can get a soda i got some pop would you like some pop hate to trouble you sir but would you mind getting me a glass of water and yeah, I'm really thirsty. Yes, would you like ice? Ice? Would that be good? Oh no, no, no problem, sir. And, and you, young man, and he points to you, Alex. Would you like something to drink too? I'm fine, thank you, though. Yeah, okay. And he, like you see him walking, he kind of has this little hunch, and you see him making his way into the kitchen. When he's walking into the kitchen, that's when I want to kind of take a take a second to just kind of like examine, you know, see if he has any like documents on the table. I'm not like picking anything up or touching anything. I'm just like sitting on the couch. I'm just trying to look around and see if there's anything I can notice while he's not really focused on me. If there's like, you know, anything I can kind of just pick up about this guy's place. Let's do wits and investigation. And don't forget you got willpower or whatever. I don't want to like tell you guys to spend it. I just don't want you guys to forget willpowers there. So I think I got four if I did it right. I did it with the exploding tens. All right. So awesome. So I, yeah, I believe that's right. 
And you see this, Alex, and this is kind of amazes you, Alex, because this was your stoner buddy. I mean, he's still probably stoner, but like this was your stoner buddy. And you see the moment that like, because at first you're like, hmm, he's just asking for water. That's odd. And then he's because no one ever takes anyone on those offers. And then he's like, the guy goes. And then right away you see, you see Wayne just like start looking over. And he's like looking at the coffee table. You don't see anything on the coffee table. And you're looking up at the flag on the wall and you see like, you don't see anything on there. And you start looking at the pictures because there's a lot of pictures. And you're just like trying to size up the pictures and you're walking along and you realize like, okay, there's some pictures that look like they were taken maybe in the 40s. Um, that's got to be him. That's got to be him getting married. Okay, oh, there's pictures. Yeah, that's him. That's him right there because you recognize him. You're like, that's him. With, looks like with the little girl, him and his wife. And oh, that that looks like the little girl. Like maybe she was old. Oh, that's definitely in the 60s and shit. And then you're like looking and you see more pictures of like, that has to be distant relatives. These have to be distant relatives. And then you see this picture of this boy and he's like, it's like a school picture and he has like a mullet and you see he has like a Motley Crue shirt on and he's just kind of like looking in the camera like with this like disingenuous like I'm trying to look tough look but he's he's like in, literally in seventh grade or sixth grade and he's just looking tough and you see there and you're like that's got to be the kid because you're like that doesn't align with anything like this and then yeah, as you, by, by the time you look at the picture you see oh, here you go and you're like oh yeah and you turn around and, and Alex you see this and you're like oh wow man he just totally sized up that fucking room like you were trying to size up the apartment complex and he hands you Wayne the water. He's like, here you go. Please, please have a seat. And you see, as you like guys sit down on the couch, he like goes and grabs one of the candies and he like slowly unwraps it and like puts the candy in his mouth and then puts like the, 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 the trash in his like in his shirt pocket there. And he like pats it down. He sits down and you see he has, he does shake a little bit and he looks at, he's like, so you're, you're, you're here about, about Toby, aren't you? Yes, sir. We are, you know, we're going to have to go through all the formalities, ask a few questions discuss payment and uh we can get started right away be out of your hair in just a moment yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure, sure anything that that helps you find the boy i it's been he's a good kid he, he's a really good kid i raised him i raised him you know my daughter and uh his father who she never married they uh they died in a car accident when uh when he was young when he's about two years old three years old and my, my wife god rest her soul and I took up the burden to raid him. I mean, it's not a burden. I don't mean to sound like we didn't want to, but we had, to be honest with you, son, we thought we were at the stage of our life where we can enjoy, enjoy ourselves. You know, I just retired recently from Bays and Electric and had my pension and we thought we'd just go and we got this apartment here and, and, um, you know, and, uh, you see him for a second. He kind of like looks at the wall and you see, look up, you see him looking at a wall of his wife. You realize as his wife when she was older and she's like, <sighs> Three months after we got the boy, she got diagnosed with cancer and she died not too long after. You see him for a second and look, and he's like, then I realized at that moment that I'm in my 60s and I'm left with this toddler on me to raise him on my own, which I tried to do. I really tried to do. You know, I didn't feel like I did too good of a job with my daughter. She, um, she kind of fell in with the wrong crowd and Toby's father wasn't that good of a man and they died in that car wreck because she, he was drinking. And, um, yeah, nothing I, my wife and I could do to convince her otherwise tonight. Give that man the boot. But I don't know, son. We, we raised Toby, and there just came a point in Toby's life where I couldn't handle him anymore. You know, he's a good kid. He's a sweet kid. He was a smart kid. There just came a point where I started getting warnings from the, 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 the manager of these apartments, how she was going to kick us out and evict us if Toby didn't start, stop vandalizing stuff here. And um, school started hitting me up and telling me that 
he was getting in fights. And what am I going to do? I can't scare a boy. And sometimes, you know, boys at that age, they need a, a firm hand. And if you look at me, son, I'm pretty feeble nowadays. And I can't really do too much, don't you know? But I don't know. He got into music and that loud music. And I always just thought I'd let him live his life. I didn't understand he was processing stuff. I couldn't imagine the pain the boy went through. You know, I went through the Great War, but I had a father and I had a mother. And they raised me and they were there for me. He didn't have any of that. And I was understanding, but eventually people told me like the best would probably just be to sign him up for that school, the Dakota Adventist Academy up there north, about an hour up there north. And um, he didn't take to it. About four months into it, he ran away. It came to my apartment here looking for him and I didn't know where he was. And a week later, I got a call from, got a call from his friend Jason's mother who lives on the first floor here telling me that Toby was down there and, and uh, hiding out in Jason's room. And she found him in Jason's room. And um, yeah, I don't know. I picked up Toby there and Toby, I tell you what, during all this, Toby never gave me no lip. Toby never disrespected me. I want you to know that Toby never raised no hand to me, never talked down to me, none of that stuff. He always respected me. But um, Toby told me when I picked him up, he was quiet. And um, he said, he'd only go back to school if I, uh, if I let him talk to his guidance counselor, Michael McNulty. So I called up the school and I asked to speak to Mr. McNulty. And I said that uh, I had Toby with me here and Toby wanted to talk to him in person. That's the only way Toby would go back to the school. And um, that's what happened. He went back to the school and, and then uh, four months from now, from then, we are where we are now. We don't know where Toby's at. And I'm telling you, son, I don't, don't sit right with me. This isn't, this isn't Toby being outlandish. Toby wouldn't, Toby wouldn't be gone this long. Where would he go in this town without anyone finding him? I'm sorry, sir. I know this is probably really difficult for you, but I do have a few questions. You said he was hanging out with a friend. He was holed up with one of his friends up in this building. Yeah, he lives on the first floor. His, um, his, his name is Jason Matthews. He All is, right. His mother called and let me know. Good lady, trying to raise a boy on her own. He's a good boy. He's into athletic stuff, and he was a good influence on Toby. I, I think that Toby, though, felt insecure around him sometimes because Jason was naturally gifted at sports, and Toby just never was really that coordinated. But they had a friendship there, and uh, they've known each other since they were really young and everything. So, yeah, for sure. Any other friends you know you know about? Any other people you know, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure you've been asked, but is it possible he could be holed up with another buddy or something? Look, I mean, I've I was a kid just like him, getting in all kinds of trouble, causing hell for my parents. And I think that's a boy's duty to raise hell for their parents. <laughs> he just smiles. He just kind of pats you on the knee. You look like you ended up good. I don't, I don't think he's with any of his other friends. Toby didn't. Toby had acquaintances. He didn't have a lot of friends. You know, I noticed that Toby, whenever I'd see him interact with the kids out there, out playing, any emotions outside the window. He always had his, you know, his demeanor that he presented to people. And then he had the real Toby. And I think the real Toby, he didn't like to show people that often. I think there's a lot of pain in his life, rightfully so. And uh, I think Jason and him were the ones that got along. And this, uh, this Mr. McNulty, the guidance counselor, I've never seen Toby take to an adult quite like that. The thing with Toby, he never, Toby didn't, he didn't disrespect me and he didn't shy away from me, but he never spoke. can oftentimes be hard for young men to relate to their elders. I do believe you did the best you could for the boy. And he's going to thank you for it someday. I, I'm all right. Just like he's going to be all right. By the grace of God, he's going to be okay. And you see him for a second, you see him pull out this handkerchief out of his shirt and he kind of like dabs his eye for a second. And he, I just could tell he was in pain and there's nothing you could do to heal that pain. At least that I don't know of. And if I ever figured it out, well, 
shit, I'd be like Mother Teresa, I think. But so that's all I know. I mean, if you want to talk to Jason and his mother, I, he looks at the clock. He's like, I think they come out of school in a few hours, but his mom is probably home. I don't know if she works or not. And um, yeah, I, just the payment wise, I, son, I I have been most of my retirement's been going to rent into that school. I can give what little I can give. I can definitely scrap together. I could probably give you like $20 a month or $40 a month if you would like. I know that Mr. Donaldson told me that he had some people who may be able to help out with the payment. I don't know. You have to understand my situation. If you weren't here, there's no one else looking for him. Listen, sir, don't you worry about the payment. I'm going to talk to my guys. We're going to make this happen. You don't you just don't stress that for right now. But I'm going to be talking to you. I'm going to I'm going to need some more some more information as this thing progresses. First off, I'm going to need the contact information of that guidance counselor you mentioned. He's yes. somebody we're going to have to talk to, as well as this boy Jason and his mom. For, for, for sure. And he seemed to get up and he goes up to where his phone, which is to the left of you, Alex, we're sitting on the couch and he's like, excuse me. And he goes to his Rolodex. Then you see him like take the this thing out. He's like, hands it to you. And he's like, that's his and you see his fingers shaking and he's like that's his phone number and you see that handwriting is like a scrawling handwriting like that's his phone number at the school and that's his phone number at home home right there and you see like kind of like hands it to you shaking a little bit mrs matthews she she lives on the first floor down there in, in apartment 106 106 well i think that's our next stop sir i want to thank you here's my card Feel free to reach out at the office if, if you have any questions or any more information you think might help us. Seriously, it's the small things that make a big difference in the missing persons cases like this. You know, I've seen a lot of stuff. A lot of times kids just, you know, they get that wild streak and, and run away from home. You got to understand it's, it's tough being a young man, but it's going to be okay, sir. Thank you. And it feels good to have someone like you and you, young man, emotions to you, Alex, looking into it. So thank you. I appreciate it. Anything you need. Unfortunately, I don't do too much during the winter. I can't go out for my walks or anything like that. So I'm kind of cooped up in here. So I'll be here if you ever need me. And here's my phone number two. And he seems slowly like walk again back to his phone and has his notepad. And he's like writing out with this pen with the shaky hand. And he writes his phone number slowly and he like hands it to you. It's kind of like, I don't know if it's awkward, but it's like definitely like the speed in which the senior move is a reminder of where we're all eventually going to end up. And I think it's sometimes when you see and you have to wait for someone senior like that to do something that normally would take us quick, it's a reminder and it's uncomfortable because we all may eventually end up there. And so he eventually rips it off the notepad and he hands it to you, Wayne. And he's like, uh, thank you again, young man. I give him a nod and I kind of make my way to the door, kind of looking at Alex on the way out. Like my expression is going to change that sort of friendly business demeanor that kind of like make him comfortable when I ask him questions type of thing, that's just going to drop from my face as we leave the door. And I'm just going to be, it's, it's like the, the act he was putting on is just kind of like over. Alex was going to have been just stone faced the whole time, just looking around, listening very intently to what the guy was saying. All right. So you both step out of the apartment and the door closes behind you as you are in the hallway. Next, we're going to cut to Derek. Derek, you are driving your van down main street it's still odd because it's like around noon and you're starting to see people come out for lunch so it's not like let me rephrase that it's not as odd as it was when you're driving around like an hour ago and no one was out but you're starting to see people like go out for lunch for their jobs and you drive your van down main street and you see that there's a white jeep in this like blue oldsmobile that's parked in front of this dakota investigative services and you're able to park your van along there 
Che and Michael, as you guys are sitting there, you see this van come rolling up and you see this figure that you recognized from about six months ago from the awkward Denny's meeting that you had where this person was kind of like forced, trying to be, they were trying to thrust this person upon you, but you see him come walking out. Uh, what are you wearing right now, Derek, as you like are walking up to the door? Um, he didn't really um, pay attention to wearing something nice for this occasion. I mean, he went to work this morning like any other day, so he just has something on that uh, keeps him warm. Uh, I mentioned earlier that he's uh, a jeans and polo kind of guy, so I think he he has jeans and maybe a long sleeve polo and like a thick winter jacket that keeps him warm. So you guys see this figure walking up as he. You see this figure walking up as he opens the door and steps in. Go ahead, scenes on you guys. Can I just walk in, or is uh, is this like um, a closed door that I have to ring a bell at? No, you could walk in. Is this like you even open up and you hear this like tingling a bell that's above the door to kind of signify? Yeah, so I just walk in. I'll just kind of greet him like, "Hi, what can we do for you?" Yeah, hey, Derek. Do you want some coffee? Yeah, that sounds great. Just give me a second, and he like unwraps from uh, his jacket, and there's like a coat hanger right by the coke machine. That's right by the coffee machine. Can I keep my boots on in here? Yeah, yeah, sure, of course, of course you can. So, what made you change your mind, Derek? Well, I told you, um, my job fell through. I was at this uh, welding place, and I thought it was going good. We had like a big big contract with the civil civic center and things were looking pretty great i was hoping we would do regular things for them and now they just undercut us with some other people looks like the whole company is going to get bust oh that sucks oh yeah yeah but i mean i'm not just here to to like beg you for money you know i mean we had to talk i'm hmm I said good because that won't really work. <laughs> right. No, uh, I was def interested, definitely interested. You know, you know my story. I mean, I want to get behind this Amanda thing. Doesn't sit right, right. with me uh, still that, you know, it never, never came to a conclusion. So um, I'm not sure what I can offer you, but I mean, for one, I have this van out there and it's mine. I don't need to share it with anyone. We can move around as a group, I think. Oh, no, definitely. Your van would be useful. Now, how dedicated to this do you want to be? I mean, I guess we could train you and have you take PI exams, and or we could just have you on retail as an independent contractor for sort of thing, which we have with Alex. More importantly, I want to know what's in this for you. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Derek sits down if he hasn't yet. Look, like an hour ago, I realized this is like a turning point or a possible turning point. I've been working hard the past couple of years and staying busy uh, definitely kept me away from pondering about Amanda too much. And I need to work, right? I, I, I need the income. I can't really work with you as a side project, I think. So um, I decided to go all in. Like this is probably the only chance I have right now. Because if not, I, I pick up another job that keeps me busy every day. 
I'm not even sure if I can find anything as good as what I had. So many things pointed this direction. I really want to do this right now. So uh, Jay will kind of, he, he's, he was kind of nodding just ever so slightly along with what you were saying. He stands up and he walks across the room, kind of pats you on the back and uh, goes out the front door with a cigarette. And uh, as he's going, you know, he looks back at Michael and just kind of nods adam yeah welcome to dakota investigative services then derek oh hello again folks i'd like to tell you about the facebook group we run called white wolf and onyx path rpgs gameplay and media have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games Why have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded? One that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could get the attention you deserve. The group is specifically run with the sole intent of being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.